0: of many is mighty and powerful and we're going to keep praying that way amen amen okay let's go ahead and look to the lord with a word of prayer and we'll get started father we thank you for this time that you've given us to come together and we pray lord for this church this body that you continue to minister to each and every one of us through your word through the music that was played, through the testimonies, all the things that we come together and gather for worship for, we thank you for your presence today. We ask, Lord, that you bless us now. We pray that the words that are spoken are only the words of the Spirit that are speaking. And we ask all of these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. And just as a disclaimer, too, for this particular message um, This is not a political message, not intended to be, but it is to make a point. And what I hope that you get from this as well, too, is that for those of you who are on the fence, when it comes to your relationship with the Lord, maybe you're a new believer, maybe you're not a believer at all, maybe you're still struggling with that, that you give careful consideration to, hopefully, the words of the Spirit speaking today. And apply it to you. Some of this is going to be about people who are not here, so don't take it personally, but it's going to be about thinking and reflecting upon how the Lord is speaking to you personally about your personal relationship with the Lord. Where it is, where it stands, and I pray that you get off the fence. Amen? The previous. U.S. presidential election provided many lessons about a type of information gathering that took place. And it's about surveys. It's about polling. Polling. Every day we were given information about polls and who was winning, who was losing, what was happening. For several weeks during the campaign, Donald Trump was losing big to Hillary Clinton depending upon the polls you listen to. I mean, anywhere from 10 to 25 percentage points, depended on where they took the poll, but the polls came out from different outlets, different places, and he was losing big, based upon everything that we saw, everything that was reported, everything we know. But the end result of the election proved that there were really very narrow margins in many key battleground states. Those margins were much closer than the polling. And you can see that in the results. And the reason for this is that many people voted in this, in this election that, number one, never voted in a presidential election in a long time, if ever. And two, they would never, if asked to take such a poll, participate in one way or another to show any preference they were unpolled as a result many previously trusted pollsters lost public trust due to accusations that their results were far from accurate and today's methodology of poll sampling you know using the telephone calling people on the phone has become more and more obsolete we live in a new day and time. Here's more polling data to consider. Gallup put out a poll in 2014 that covered religious services, church services, church attendance, by state. They covered all the different 50 states and measured polling in those states. In general, with a very solid sampling nationwide, of over 177,000 adults, and what they measure as a competence level of 95%, the statistics reported that of those surveyed, on average, about 34% of those surveyed attended church at least once a week. Now, listen to that. Once a week, they said 34%. And about 21% more attended services every other week, or at least once a month. Now, on the surface, that doesn't sound great. Amen? Sounds low. But it sounds like it's okay if you take into account a phenomenon within polling referred to as the halo effect. The halo effect. Now the halo effect is a very, very interesting phenomenon. It probably took place during the presidential election. It certainly is taking place here statistically. And I'll tell you more about that and how even we think with the same halo effect. The halo effect is the difference or discrepancy between what you tell a pollster, which often leaves a very positive impression of who you are you know, everybody wants to say if they take a poll about going to church. Yes, I go to church. I go to church on a regular basis and I do that. But it's different from what you actually do. You might tell a pollster, yeah, I go to church on a regular basis, but what do you really do? The pollster's not going to come back and say, you lying. Amen. All the pollster does is gather data. They're gathering information. So the halo effect is the difference between what you tell a pollster and what you actually do. Now, what was found in a gathering of statistical data by two different groups, this is outside of this poll, this Gallup poll, covering church attendance and trends over time, was that the actual number of attendees for church every week was not 34%. But actually half of that, 17.7% of the population, only half of that. How could that be so wrong? Even Gallup poll editor-in-chief Frank Newport had to acknowledge that poll numbers can be skewed by the halo effect. Newport said that many people will say they regularly attend church when they really don't attend every week. In fact, many people will stay home from church due to illness, or they'll just readily sleep in. Just sleep right through it. Of those who claim to go to church on a regular basis, those who claim to go on a regular basis, some may show up less than 12 times a year. That's less than one month a year. But yet they're saying they regularly go to church. And pastors will often acknowledge that their inactive church membership, those who are on the membership roll but those who don't show up, can be anywhere from 40 to 60 percent. That's a lot of folks. We live in a different day and time. And there are very few places in the United States where churches are growing. They're shrinking. And some are rapidly declining in attendance. Now, this is not necessarily a message about how churches are shrinking. And I'll circle back and I'll tell you why. So what's going on here? It's very easy to point the finger at the church itself for the decline in church in attendance. Now, some criticism is warranted. However, we also have to acknowledge that churches come in different sizes, shapes, and colors. There is no such thing as a perfect fit for a church. The moment you're looking for perfection, you'll never go to church. Amen? And why is that? Because we're all sinners. We all make mistakes. Things happen. The moment you look for perfection, you won't go to church. If one church doesn't work, there should be an inclination to try another church that can be maybe a better fit for you. Perhaps the lack of church attendance is not all about the church, or the pastor, or leadership, or even other members. Perhaps the lack of church attendance, I'll compel you to think, lies solely within the person, the individual, the one who is looking for a church, the one who is supposedly thinking about church and then maybe not thinking about church. Maybe the, solely, the, the responsibility solely lies with the individual. No one is going to deny That going to church every Sunday requires a regular routine. But wait a minute, maybe that's not quite right. If you love the Lord, amen? If you love the Lord and recognize how much He has done for you, going to church is more than just a routine. It's more than a routine, it certainly isn't a duty. But it would be your priority, and even something that you would look forward to every Sunday. Amen? Do you look forward to coming here every Sunday? Amen. A lot of quiet folks today. I want you to reflect on this, though, from the standpoint, not so much about the people who are not here today, but I want you to think about you and where you are in your relationship with Christ. When we look at the purpose of a church, we begin to understand where church attendance should be in the minds of people more of a priority. But we also need to understand that there is a heart issue involved here, too. Please turn, if you will, for me to Matthew 18:20. Matthew chapter 18, verse 20. One of the things that we usually talk about when we talk about prayer and how prayer is very powerful because God recognizes numbers. Prayer in numbers is powerful. Well, guess what? Fellowship in the church is powerful because we have people here for a common mind, a common way of thinking, and we recognize that being here does have a value. In Matthew 18, 20, I'm going to read the English Standard Version of this verse, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. So we can say very safely, just based upon that verse, that all of us here were gathered in the name of Jesus Christ. God is present. Jesus Christ is present in this midst. Now, that doesn't change the fact that We are prayerful that whatever is spoken is spoken through the Spirit. Just because he's present doesn't mean folks don't go off the rails sometimes and need to be brought back in and recognize that you're here by the grace of God. You're here because he chose for you to be here. Let's take a look at another example of church. Even the first church. Go to Acts chapter 2, and let's take a look at verses 41 and 42, and we're going to focus on this section of this passage that's very, very important for us to see and kind of extrapolate out of it some very important information. Now, we talked all this time about church attendance and people not coming here. Understand something. If you don't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and you just kind of sit through messages and you're either on the fence or you don't believe, guess what? You're really not any better than anybody who's not coming here. You're not any better off than those who are outside of these walls. You need to understand that just showing up for church does not give you brownie points with God. doesn't give you brownie points. It doesn't give you merit badges. It doesn't give you gold stars. Just by showing up here does not give you extra credit. There has to be something more that comes from this. Let's take a look at what it says here in Acts chapter 2. Starting with verse 41. This is the Holman Christian version. Follow along with your version, please. So those who accepted his, being Peter's message, were baptized. Note the word accepted. And that day about 3,000 people were added to them. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Here in these verses is the takeaway that I hope you can see where some individuals will determine that church is either more or less important. Peter, in speaking to the crowd, told them to repent and ask Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin. That's back in verse 38. And that they would be born again. The people who believed his message, trusted him, trusted what Peter had to say, and accepted his message. You will not devote yourself or make yourself available for teaching or fellowship with others unless you begin to trust the message. Trust the message. It is faith in the message that leads to acceptance. Accepting means you trust enough to believe it and you accept it. Flip over to Romans chapter 10. Romans 10, verse 17. Fellowship in church is important because you get to hear more and more about Jesus Christ. If you're outside of these walls, you're hearing less and less of that. So fellowship is very important within church because you get to hear what's truth and verse 17 in Romans 10, this is the English Standard Version, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. You have to hear it to have faith. Acts 16:31 declares that you are to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe and you will be saved. Go to Romans go back to Romans uh 10, verses 9 and 10. You're in the same area. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. And we're also going to read verse 13 after that. Now, these are verses you've heard and seen before. And you've heard and seen these verses before. You know why? Because you were here. You were taught these verses. You learn about these verses. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10 says, "...if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord... And believe, there's that word, in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness. And one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. Amen? Amen? Everybody listening? Everybody wide awake? Please say amen. amen. Well, that was half-hearted, but I'll take it. For everyone, verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Follow me very closely here, please. Trust is the first step that leads to faith. You've got to trust the message. That's the first step leading to faith. Faith means you accept and believe the message of Jesus Christ. And as a result, you begin to see the value and benefits of church fellowship. This is where you can associate the well-known expression, take a step of faith. You're taking steps. You don't have it all together. You're still learning. I'm still learning. But you take a step of faith. The key is taking the first step. For those who are on the fence, you've heard me mention that before, the key is taking the first step. If you're sitting on a fence, you're not taking any steps. Amen? The sad part of this is that people don't readily trust what they are told. People don't readily trust it. People have grown to be skeptical of others for all kinds of reasons. So and so lied to me here. So and so said this. So and you become cynical. You're skeptical. Am I hearing what is really the truth? Am I getting the real deal? Am I getting the real scoop? Just like the polling data I talked about. Is it real data or is it false data? People have become skeptical. Because there's so much conflicting information out there. There's even conflicting information in churches. Which can hamper your way of thinking. This skepticism, however, blame other people if you want to, guess what? It still falls back on the listener, the person, the individual. You have to do something about that skepticism. How many people will sit in church for a period of days, weeks, months, and years and hear all kinds of information, good information, truthful information, and yet not make the conscious decision to believe. There's not a number for that. It's a speculative number. But there are people who have sat in church their entire lives and have heard information, good information, powerful information, moving information, and will not Get off the fence. Not move. It is because there's a lack of trust in the Word. There's a lack of trust in it. And ultimately, it's just like not being in church at all. If you don't trust it, maybe you're waiting for something to happen, maybe you're waiting for a cloud to explode over your head. Maybe you're waiting for a lightning bolt to hit you right in your seat. I don't think you really want that. I think you wouldn't want to be struck by lightning. But maybe you're looking for something. Something different than the truth. A lack of trust is crippling. It's crippling. And for some, it can lead to spiritual death. When Charles Stanley speaks every Sunday, every message he gives is a message about declaring for the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And he does that for one reason. You don't have tomorrow promised to you. You can wait. Well, you could be dead tomorrow. And if you haven't made that decision for Christ, you've just suffered spiritual death. Church is not just fellowship with other people or friends or other believers. It's also about fellowship with God. Amen? You're fellowshipping with the Lord here. Remember we said for more than two are gathered, he's present. You're fellowshipping with him. Now, I had to chuckle this morning because Pastor Gus uh, brought up a verse. The very first verse he brought up is in this message. Turn to verse John 5, 1 John chapter 1, excuse me, verse 5. Let's go back and look at that again. And again, this goes back to trusting in the message and trusting what you're reading is to be true. And if you face this message with skepticism, then you're going to have a struggle with it. And understand something, that skepticism often means that you choose not to believe because you would rather do what you want to do. Amen? You would rather do what you choose to do outside of what God tells you. That's a choice. Free country. You can make a decision like that. But let's look at what this passage says. It's either or. There's no gray area. Now, this is the message we have heard from him, starting with verse 5, First John chapter 1, and declare to you, God is light, and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him, now this is where it gets tricky here, because you can say you go to church every week, or every other week, or once a month, whatever it is. But if you say you have fellowship with him, yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. It's not the pastor's job. It's not my job. It's not the elder's job to determine whether or not you're lying about your relationship with the Lord. It's not my job to do that. It's not anybody's job to do that. But the word says, if you do this, you're lying. You're lying and not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we don't have any sin, and a lot of people will say that, I'm a good person. I don't do this. I don't make, I don't, Do stuff to folks. Look what it says. We make him a liar. And his word is not in us. If you don't get anything else out of this, please, please, don't lie to yourself about your relationship with Jesus Christ. Don't lie about it. And the reason why you can't lie about it is because God knows about it. It's not my job to tell you if you're lying or not, but God certainly knows. And there's a price to pay for that if you keep lying about where you stand with Christ. And here's why. Go to Psalm 139. Psalm 139, and we'll look at the first three verses. Now, let me tell you one thing, too, that's very important. A lot of people are skeptical sometimes of what the Bible says or what the word is spoken out of pulpits all over the place. But it's truth. But truth is relative to the person who hears it. You can say that these next three verses don't mean anything to you, and we'll say that's fine. It doesn't change the truth. Just because you don't believe it doesn't mean it's not true. People live a lie all the time. People live and deceive themselves all the time. doesn't change the truth. So when you read these three verses, and it says, starting with verse 1, Holman version, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Now, you can believe that or not. But God knows every single person in this room because he created you. He knew about you before the world began. Believe it or not. This is not Ripley's Believe It or Not. But you can believe it or not believe it. He knows all about you. So he knows if you're telling the truth about your relationship with the Lord. He ultimately is the judge. Not me. Not Pastor Gus. The halo effect... May also be an issue when it comes to a person's honesty when it comes to matters of faith. A person's honesty about your faith. Very few people who you see in a church will share first of all that they don't have this faith thing altogether. People aren't just going to walk up and you say, I don't really know what's going on. I have no idea what's happening when it comes to faith matters. I just kind of wound up here and like, who's, gonna, who's got a car who can drive me home? People just don't show up and just say, I don't understand this faith thing. That's not going to happen. People won't reveal that. Not publicly, anyway. It's a very personal matter. It's a private matter. But while it's personal, while it's private, Only God knows where you are with your faith. Amen? And He is the ultimate litmus test. He's the ultimate litmus test. Take a look, please, at Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah 17, verse 10. Now, we just got through reading a passage saying that, Lord, you have searched me and known me. Now, Jeremiah 17.10 goes even a little bit deeper than that. Verse 10 says, I, Yahweh, examine the mind. I test the heart to give each according to his way, according to what his actions deserve." He tests your heart. He tests your way of thinking. He tests your mind. He knows what direction you're going in at any given moment. He knows where you are. He knows where you stand. Or where you don't stand. He may look at your heart and say, You're confused. You don't know what's going on. Or He may say, Unless you change your ways, you're lost. The Christmas you know the, the the story of Christmas Carol is a real good lesson if you look at the lesson of what Ebenezer Scrooge had to see and learn. Here's a guy who supposedly had everything, right? Wasn't generally a happy man, but did his best to blow off everybody and say Christmas was a waste of time by Humbug. He had to be taught some things. He had to learn some things. And if he didn't get anything else out of that story, what he had to learn too is that if you don't change your ways, other people may lose their lives and you will lose your life. Some people miss that. Unless you change your way of thinking, unless you change the way you act, unless you change the way you treat people, mistreat people, change your heart, someone's going to die, maybe very close to you, and you're going to die. Now, you're going to die anyway, amen? We're all going to die eventually. But there is such a thing as cutting your life short. There absolutely is such a thing as cutting your own life short. And we don't talk about that this much much in church. But let's face it. God's not going to bless you if you're an ugly person to other people. Sorry for veering off. If you think you've got it all together in your relationship with Jesus Christ, guess what? You probably don't. Amen? If you think you've got it all together, guess what? You probably don't have it together. You can forget that. None of us have it together. What do you got together? You're in the flesh. It's a constant struggle every day. What have you got together? Once again, you can lie to yourself and say you do have it together. But no one's going to challenge you on that. But God will. Go to Proverbs 16. Proverbs 16. First two verses. The halo effect is thinking that you really are more than what you really are. And you have to understand something. If you truly are relying upon Jesus Christ, you recognize you aren't all that and you need Jesus Christ. You need the Holy Spirit each and every day to be able to function properly and have true fellowship with him. And God already knows that we deceive ourselves. This passage here reflects that. It says in verse 1 of Proverbs 16, the reflections of a heart belong to man. Yes, I can say I'm a great guy. But the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. In other words, he knows better. All a man's ways seem right to him. But the Lord evaluates The motives. Our flesh says we don't need God. God says, think again. You really do. We are reminded that we have nothing in salvation without the grace of God. What we have is strictly unearned. It's God's grace. Salvation is an undeserved gift from God through the mediator Jesus Christ. This alone is a reason to be grateful to God and give Him due praise and worship. But, if you're on the fence... What I just said doesn't mean a whole lot. If you can't internalize that, that salvation has value and is important to you, you'll be sitting on the fence. You won't make a decision for Jesus Christ. You'll be waiting for something else to happen. You'll be waiting for that lightning bolt, you'll be waiting for that so called miracle. Do you realize that you miss miracles when you're out of fellowship with the Lord? Do you, you miss the things that God does in your life? Do you know that God preserved you to keep you to be at this place in time? Specifically for you to have a relationship with him. I know he protected me all through my first 26 years because I didn't have a clue. I didn't know anything. I was going through life thinking I had it together. And sometimes I didn't, of course. But I know he kept me through those first 26 years where I could make a decision. And what a blessing that was. Because some folks don't get 26 years. Some folks barely get half. But you have to understand that. To see how God is blessing you and that He's worthy of praise. Please take a look at Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, we're going to look at verses 4 through 10. Sometimes when we read the Bible, we look for ways to see who God is, what type of God it is that we serve. This passage tells you right off the bat that we serve a merciful God. The mercy comes from the fact that he has kept you here whether you know the Lord or not. And I mention whether you know the Lord or not, because I don't assume anything. It's for all folks. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, starting with verse 4, I apologize, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with the Messiah, even though we were dead in trespasses. In the flesh, you're already dead. The only thing you have is the mercy of God that takes care of that. Let's continue. You are saved by grace. Amen? Now there's an exclamation point there, everybody. That's not just a quiet sentence. You are saved by grace. You are saved by grace. Together with Christ Jesus, he also raised us up and seated us in the heavens so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. That's a promise for us. Sometimes you have to see Scripture give you promises. Here's what's going to happen in the future if you believe in Jesus Christ. Here's a promise. Immeasurable riches. For you are saved by grace through faith, And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. Not from works so that no one can boast. For we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. Is that how you walk? Do you think that way? Do you understand Even what you're reading. Do you understand what's being said to you? Your heart, through the Holy Spirit, speaks to you. If you really do want to understand, it's by trusting the message. We worship God publicly through our daily actions and activity. But we learn about worship within a church fellowship. It starts here. Amen? Starts here. A Bible teaching church gives instruction and teaches you how to develop your own study habits to learn more about Christ. Now, we live in a different day and time, no question. But that doesn't mean that church is less important today. If anything, it's much more important. Because it's a place where you can develop your faith and build upon a healthy and intimate relationship in Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25 says, And let us be concerned about one another, that's us, here in the fellowship, in order to promote love and good works, not staying away from our worship meetings, not staying away from church, as some habitually do. Notice how Scripture even knows that folks stay out of church. It's saying so. Some habitually do it but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day drawing near. There is a day that's coming. Amen? There's a day coming. We're not just doing this just for the fluff and for the fun of it. There's a day coming. There's a day coming when Christ is going to return. Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17. I'll just read through that. Therefore, God's chosen ones, holy and loved Put on heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, accepting one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another. Now that verse right there is contrary to what a lot of churches do. We like to hold grudges. Kindness? nah. Compassion? Nah. But we're called to do much more than that. If we're in a church, we're called to do much more than what the world does. The world is uncompassionate. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Do you believe that? Amen? Amen. Above all, put on love the perfect bond of unity. Unity within a church is based on love. Love for the other person. doesn't mean you like everybody. That's always misinterpreted. We're talking about love through Jesus Christ. And let the peace of the Messiah, to which you were also called in one body, control your hearts, be thankful, let the message about the Messiah dwell richly among you, teaching and admonishing one another, in, one another in all wisdom and singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Don't you wish more folks did this stuff? It starts with us. But you know what? You'll have a hard time doing this if you're still sitting on that fence. Where if you suffer from the effects of the halo effect, you think you're a good person. You think you're doing all this stuff when you're really not. When it comes to your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, do you rely upon the halo effect? Or will you humble yourself before God? Humble yourself before God. Get down on your knees before God. Humble yourself before Him. Trust in Him. And allow yourself to be teachable, teachable, and live in the richness of his presence. Will you allow yourself to do that? And that's not just a message for a non-believer. That's also a message for believers. You've got a lot more to learn, believers, myself included, but it requires you to humble yourself and allow yourself to be teachable I need to learn more there's more I need to do in growing my relationship with Jesus Christ true faith in Jesus Christ begins by just believing in him believing in him all he desires for you to do is to come and you will see come and see That's from John 39. Come and see. Check him out. Amen? Amen. Father, we just thank you for this time that you've given us to search our hearts and minds. And Lord, we don't want to be on the fence. We want to make a commitment to you right now. We want to renew a commitment with you right now. Lord, there are many things on the outside that will distract us from making this commitment to you. Lord, we ask that you just block all of that out right now. Because ultimately, our growth takes place between you and me. It's within ourselves to make this thing work. Lord, we want to trust in you. We want to grow with understanding. We want the Holy Spirit to teach us. We want to be renewed with your presence in our hearts and minds. That we can be stronger in you. That we recognize that true growth comes in a relationship with you. Lord, we want to be teachable. Lord, we want and desire to have a close relationship. We know that forgiveness is important. We do ask Lord that you forgive us of our sins right now. Whatever sins of heart we are harboring, whatever resentment we have for anyone, whatever it is that's keeping us for making that commitment to you. Lord, we just want to put all of those things before you. We thank you for how you respond. All you ask us to do is just to come and see. And Lord, we are grateful that you respond every time. Help us to know our hearts help us to take the flesh out of the way help us to see what you see in us that we can be truthful with ourselves lord we probably won't like what we see but we know that you have grace and you have mercy And we know that you love us unconditionally. And we thank you for that. Lord, we know about the sacrifice of your Son. How the blood of Christ is shed for each and every one of us. We thank you for that cleansing blood. We thank you for the power of that blood. We thank you again for your mercy and your grace. We thank you, even Lord, for knowing all about us that we need Jesus Christ in our lives. Help us to be truthful with ourselves. Help us with this growth. Help us to be teachable. Help us to fellowship with each other and discover reasons for praise and worship through you. We give you thanks for the good results of this. We give you thanks knowing that heaven rejoices when one more person makes a decision for you. We just thank you. We want to be honest. We know we need to make a commitment. Help us to do so right now. We give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. All it takes is a commitment. Sometimes you just take the first step.